Blog Talk Radio. Radio, Safe Recovery. I'm Monica, and I'm your host. Tonight is May 3rd, 2011. Safe Recovery was initially created in Southern California to address the sexual and financial predators that are gravely affecting members in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and throughout the community and its culture. Uh, Some of the updates are that pamphlets and posters in English and in Spanish have been made and distributed in over 65 meetings throughout the U.S. and some in Australia. Our slogan is empowerment, not powerless. We have created this radio show in an effort to uncover predatory behavior, giving a voice to victims to speak up and speak out for themselves and others. So tonight we have a very special guest coming to us all the way from Daytona Beach, Florida, where there is a park where there have been AA and NA meetings, meeting in this park for over 17 years. Recently, a group of local concerned citizens near the park, well, I don't want to be a spoiler here, so I'm going to see who is on the phone here. Let's see, here we go. You are on air. This is Monica. Hi, this is Harriet. Hi, Harriet. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. And you? Good. We have a really good connection here. We're both on our landlines, I think, huh? <laughs> yes, I, I plugged in my landline. Oh, you have to plug sure it in? <laughs> yes. It's a real super landline. <laughs> oh, yeah. Those are really good. I'm never getting rid of mine. Not a portable. Mm-hmm. No, no, those are good. So, Harriet, um, we know each other now for maybe six months or eight months. That sounds about right. Yeah. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners how you and I met? What happened to you down there in Daytona Beach that you and I got to know each other? Well, uh, our community was experiencing a lot of problems with the local NA and NA meetings in the park nearby, and there had been some incidents that happened that prompted me to do some research on the Internet, and I looked up, I believe it was uh, violence in NA, and I found you. And I emailed you, and you called me back you actually called me uh, that particular day, and you know I told you my story, and we've known each other ever since. 
Yeah, so I remember, and it's funny because I probably didn't have any stuff about N.A. up there, but there was certainly uh, the incidents of rape that we had sort of uncovered in AA, and so I guess the Google engines pulled it that way. So tell us from the beginning how it all started back there. Well, uh, I have a had a store then that was across from a nice park, and mm-hmm. we had meetings going across the park there for some time. At the time, I didn't know for how long they had been there. Um, a number of them would come into the store, and sometimes they would be disruptive. We also had other customers that would come in and you know make complaints and talk about how rude some of them were and trash and not being able to park and having certain other incidences with them. Mm-hmm. And one particular evening, we had uh, one of the members come into the store and was being disruptive, and my partner asked him to leave. Mm-hmm. And he left and went across the street over to the meeting. And on and there was some falling out over there as well with somebody they had some their own falling out yeah and when he left the meeting he yelled to uh to us at the store he hoped we had bulletproof glass wow yeah wow so this this prompted yeah my partner to call the police mhm and they came and they went across the street and asked the NA group and members who we knew they had been shopping at our store for a while, especially the leader of the group, mm-hmm. and asked, you know, who was this person so the policeman could go find the person. Right. And they said they couldn't they couldn't say because they were anonymous. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and Okay. Yeah, they were anonymous, which you know right, I believe is an obstruction you, but of. They're anonymous. All right. So what happened next? So I believe that's an obstruction of justice uh, mm-hmm. because they knew who it was. At first, they tried to say they didn't know who it was, and then when pressed further, they admitted they knew who it was, but because they were anonymous, they weren't going to say. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the end of that because. They wouldn't tell the police. The police didn't press the issue. Um, The police actually didn't even file a report, I found out later, on this incident. So we got no name, no report. And so that was kind of the beginning of uh, a a wake-up call to us. And after listening to what the customers had said and their complaints and then we're we started realizing what they were talking about. So within a few weeks, we have we still had NA customers and AA customers coming into to the store, and we had one of the leaders come in and say to us, "Well, you know, the person who had threatened you, you, you don't have to worry anymore because he died of an overdose." Wow. Yes. And he said it smiling, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he said it thinking we would be pleased, like this was good news. 
It was not yeah. good news. It was horrifying news. Why would you be um, pleased? Yes, we were upset with the person, and it was terrible what he did and could have done. But Harriet, to hear that he died of an overdose, I lost my caller. Made me stop and think. Wow, maybe if the police and NA Harriet? could have cooperated, see went to this person's here. house, maybe arrested him, or if he was on Harriet? probation. Yes. You you just totally went off. Like I didn't hear. Um, like there was a deadened sound. Uh, I don't know if it's my end or having trouble with the radio. Or can you hear me now? I can hear you. Okay. When well, did you stop? Dead. So uh, can you can you go back to because I lost I I didn't hear a thing where they said that they they thought you would be happy when they said this is the last thing I heard you say and then on my phone it went dead. So um, they they thought we would be happy with this news. Okay. But we saw it as a real tragedy, mm-hmm. as it was a tragedy. It turned out to be a 19-year-old person, a pretty young person, to right. hear that they overdosed. Mm-hmm. And I could the first thing that came to mind was if they would have identified him when he had made the threat and told the police, and the police could have sought him out. Maybe he was on probation. Maybe mm-hmm. they would have arrested him for making the threat, that he could have still been with us today. He could have got help. He, but instead... They actually enabled them, which is what NA talked about not doing. But right. they ended up enabling them by protecting them, which hurt us, hurt him. You know, he ended yeah. up six foot under. Mm. So that was that was pretty heavy to have them say that. We had another one come in, repeat basically the same thing. So. What do you mean by that? Like they threatened you again? Someone else came in and threatened you? Somebody else had come in to notify us that this person had died and that we didn't need to worry about that person anymore. So in their mind, they're thinking, okay, there's no more problem, right? Mm -hmm. They saw it in a very uh, narrow view instead of looking at the big picture because it's just one person. And yeah. instead of looking at it as a group problem and the demographic that has been created because of the drug courts and such. Yeah. And so, you know, that happened. We started learning more about the demographics, started doing homework. At the time, I really didn't know everything about the drug courts and how it all worked, but I became a quick study of it. And so a few months went by. We had more citizens coming in, complaining. It seemed like the groups were getting larger. And so there were more incidences. So there what's was an example an, of the people that mm-hmm. were citizens that they were complaining? Because in the very beginning when you told me the story, they said that even before you got the threat that they were disruptive. So can you give me, just, just give our listeners just an example of someone being just plain disruptive and then what were the, some of the complaints of the other locals? Uh, some of them was the language, because they would be in the largest pavilion. They would take up the largest pavilion in the park, which was eight picnic tables, could fit a lot of people. Yeah. And they would stand up, you know, they would have somebody stand up to tell their story. Oh, so you could hear that 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty loud, so oh. you'd have young children and families because it's a it's a exercise park. So there's a sidewalk that goes pretty close to the pavilion. People walking around, so you could hear the stories. You could hear the bad language oh. uh, that they're notorious for, mm-hmm. and and if people were already sitting in the pavilion before the meeting started, they would just tell people, you know, well we're going to have a meeting. Or are you here for the meeting? Are you here for the meeting? Harriet, somebody's asking mm -hmm. on the chat room, how about how many people are attending the meeting at this point when it's full with a lot of people? Well, at that time, it was anywhere from, you know, 50 and some evenings up to 100. Wow, that's a lot. Especially when they were celebrating anniversaries. Mm. Okay, and how many years have have they been there? I know that, you know, you finally found about that out. About 17, 17, 18, mm-hmm. maybe even a little longer. It started with AA. AA started with a meeting, and then they got uh, NA involved in coming. And so NA started meetings, and then they ended up deciding to have meetings there every single night. Wow. For, so for years, you're talking you know, seven to eight meetings a week, every mm-hmm. single day of the year, filling up the parking lots, having, you know, not paying rent, and having these issues. And the community just, they were frustrated, but, it, it you know, some of them were just raised with it practically. And mm-hmm. they didn't know what to do or if there was anything that could be done. And so when something, you know, when we started learning about it, and started talking to them, we ended up getting a uh, petition together, the mm-hmm. community members, because they felt nobody should monopolize a park, whether it was AANA or, you know, the Boy Scouts. Nobody should be taking over a park every single night. That's right. Right. So there was Even a the petition. Elks Club has a chair, right? <laughs> Pardon? I said even the Elks Club has to share. Yes, they have to share. Well, you could tell what happened over a period of time was they certainly felt a sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. And there were incidences when uh, I was sitting in the pavilion and people would walk up and, you know, they would want to just get me to move by keep asking if I was there for the meeting and then, People would start showing up, and they all start, you know, hugging each other. And, you know, it just makes you feel uncomfortable if you're not part of the group. And so what typically happens is, Mm -hmm. well, actually 100% of the time is most people just move. So the community didn't like it that they couldn't have access to the pavilion, but many of them didn't know that they weren't paying. They assumed they were, as I did, even when this incident happened. Yeah. I assumed they were paying. How much and are you then supposed to pay I, when you're there, Harriet? How much are you supposed to pay? At the time, it was only $15 for three hours, no deposit. Now right. it's $25 with a $25 deposit. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they didn't pay for 17 years? Uh, I don't, maybe I'll do the math while you're talking. <laughs> All it right, ends so, up you know, close to $100,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And... So people talked about incidences of the language, um, parking, having um, 
you know, arguments with some of them, you know, about parking and people mouthing off to them. We had small children who come into the store. One was nine, the other one 13. And they ended up getting befriended, actually, by the N.A. group because they kind of got them to babysit their kids in the park while a meeting was going on to some extent, Mm -hmm. which when we found that out, we were really quite stunned about that, that... Mm -hmm. Because they were kind of latchkey kids to to an extent, you know. I mean, they were in the park by themselves, very vulnerable. How old were the kids? A nine and thirteen. Oh, okay. The nine-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So, the meetings took place in the evening in the dark. You know, in the winter time, it's uh, it's dark. So they're playing on playground equipment in the dark, and they had these community children helping watch the kids. Well, one evening, uh, one of the community children actually hurt themselves on the playground and cut her chin. Mm-hmm. And so one of the NA members actually uh, offered to take her to her home. So, you know, we have this person getting a nine-year-old in her car, drove her to her house, and she ended up having to get stitches and that sort of thing. And they had become quite dependent on these kids to, and the mother didn't even really know. She eventually found out this is what her kids were doing at the park, were babysitting, and a and a children. Which, I mean, bless their heart, these kids have been through a lot. But it's a given that they're going to have their own issues. So you Mm -hmm. have community children mixing with children who have been through hell, many of them, and are very well possibly dysfunctional too. So, you know, it's not like they're just going on the playground and meeting maybe a normal mix of kids. It's kids mm-hmm. that might know more than they should for their age and right. communicate things. And then you would see also the community kids with the group of the NA kids going back into the pavilion and associating with them during the meeting. And so they would, you know, the local kids would overhear the topics of the meeting as well. Yeah, that's a pretty big debate, uh, whether, you know, children should hear this kind of talk. And, you know, I'm, I, I know for a fact, I mean, there's two debates. One, when people say, well, you know, it's their kids are living with it, but the, their kids are not living with 50 horror stories. Exactly. And, uh, you know, back in the early days, uh, when you see the history, uh, they never had children. Like, uh, the women were in the kitchen, even. And um, we'll talk about Bill Wilson. I mean, they were, none of those people had children. And if they did, they weren't at the house when they talked. Uh, Now, in Hawaii, there were many meetings where the children were running around outside. Um, But I, I agree. I think it's it's really detrimental for kids to hear what they're hearing. So go ahead, please, with your story. Yeah, I think it's a given there that I don't think you'd really get any mental health professional to say it's uh, good for them emotionally to hear it. I mean, they really can't comprehend it, and there's actually some people that are there on minor drug charges, 
maybe marijuana, maybe the child, you know, wasn't involved in, a, you know, that exposed to it, but the parent got busted outside the home. And then they're brought into an environment where people, you know, they hear these stories of people who had a much longer history of drug use and harder mm-hmm. drugs. Mm-hmm. So it's not really always comparing. Sometimes it's comparing apples and oranges. Um, plus you're exposing children to to felons, other felons, and you know that's not good either. You know, just that environment. No, no, and we know where, you know, since you and I have met and, you know, on the Internet and we started talking on the phone, uh, the stories actually have gotten so much uh, worse and darker. And for those listening, um, I want to just let everybody know that thinking-thinking.com began, uh, you know, really, I don't remember it so much in the beginning when I went there, but has really been collecting stories, news stories, so that we are seeing... You know, one of one of the really bad stories is the one that's in Kentucky, where the couple were um, had molested, raped, and incested four children, uh, and were going to be released and actually sentenced to Narcotics Anonymous meetings. And yes, um, I read that. Right, and so those stories on that news, you know, you can not a news blog, but a, a blog. Uh, and then I pull as much as I can on Stop 13 Step in AA, uh, where it's really scary because Keeper, who we had on the week before, whose stories, her child's story, you know, wound up on America's Most Wanted, was targeted in a smaller town. They were not in Louisville. You know, they were not in L.A. They were not in Miami. These pedophiles go to small, smaller towns where they can sort of get under the radar or maybe in a nice community where people are retired and they want to play checkers, like you once told me, at the pavilion, <laughs> right? Right, right. It's really, I think it's really scary. So now I know it really escalated because it did. And at first when I was going to have you on, you know, I put, well, there was one incident and we corrected it and you told me that there were numerous and there were there were. So there were more than two people who threatened people's lives, and they threatened more than yours, which then, and I know that the police got involved in the city. So tell us, you know, how maybe some of the other incidents has happened to other people. Uh, I know that if somebody said they were going to shoot up my store, like just from the, just that alone is really, really scary. Yes. Well, the after that incident and the community started getting more involved and feeling a bit empowered, you know, maybe mm-hmm. we can do something here, make a statement. And right. so we had more community members wanting to enjoy the park and the pavilion. And so we were sitting in the pavilion one evening, and there was a gentleman that I believe had attended both AA and NA, and he had, he had walked into the pavilion and said, I'm packing, and I'm not as scared of anybody. And he wasn't kidding. Mm-hmm. And he left, and it really upset one of the people there. I mean, it upset all of us. Oh. So the police were called, and the police came, and uh, another citizen had gotten the tag number of this gentleman. He had come in on a motorcycle. That was given to the police. The police said they would you know, go check him out because he had since left the park. 
Mm-hmm. And it turns out later, trying to follow up on the police report on that, there was never any report written on that either. Wow. Even though they had the person's name and address because they had mm-hmm. the tag number, you know, they hadn't done that. Then there was another incident where the community had wanted to have uh, Sunday morning meet and greets. And mm-hmm. we were having a Sunday morning meet and greet, and one of the citizens was cooking a, a big turkey. It was around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boy Scout style is a real unique way to be cooking a turkey. And it, we were just having a great time. It was a beautiful, beautiful morning. And we were in a pavilion that typically N.A. would have on a Sunday morning, but not pay for. But the citizens had actually got together, pulled money together, and rented it. So we were having a good time. Mm -hmm. And we had a gentleman, you know, come into the pavilion and start singing a song about Maxwell Silverhammer coming down upon her head, Maxwell Silverhammer making sure she was dead. Oh, my God. They're so immature. Yeah. Wow. So I had my camera with me. I He he said a few more things. He left the pavilion, and he was a big guy, big guy, and, you know, he's a biker as well. He, he was pretty intimidating, and mm-hmm. I was pretty shaken, and I called the police, and the police came, and we talked to a number of them. There was like three police cars came. I pointed them out to them because right. they were still. He was still in the park, and they seemed to recognize who it was. And they went and talked to him and the group, and came back to us. And basically, it came down to well, you know, you guys just stay away from each other. They let the man remain in the park. Wow. They asked me what else they could do. I said, well, I'd like you to make a report. Mm-hmm. And the police officer said he would, which later I found out he didn't. <laughs> What's up with that police officer? Did you have him investigated? Um, well, it turned out there was a number of incidents where police were called, and so there's a variety of policemen who would not fill out police reports. And you come to realize that there's sympathy for them, uh, the police have for these groups. One, I think, because you know, NA, you know, gives information. They, they give information to get sentences lowered, so they're glad about that, and they know they want to be anonymous, and so they try to respect their anonymity. But by jeopardizing myself, if they would have carried out any of those actions on myself or other community members there would be no person to go look for because it wasn't in the report. There was no name uh, of the person doing it. I found out the name of that individual because I got his his tag number because I knew what motorcycle he had driven in on. Right. And I found out exactly who he is. And I sent it to NA headquarters and told him about the whole incident and showed him his picture I took a picture of him, and he actually had uh, given me the finger, mm-hmm. and I got a picture of that, sent it to N.A., gave him all of his information, told him exactly what he said to me. Right. And they basically said, 
you know, there was nothing that they could do because it was something handled on a group level. And to call the police. Well, we found out that by calling the police didn't really do anything because they, you know, they you know, they weren't really writing reports. They weren't taking names. Um, it sounds like, you know, maybe like it was like being black in the South. Like, you know, you used to call the police and they didn't do anything. And you called whoever and they didn't do anything. And now here you are a regular, like you're actually a business owner in Daytona Beach, Florida. And you have tax-paying, regular citizens who have never, you know, fucked up their lives, they've never been, you know, out there drugging and drinking, who are now being pushed around, this is the way I see it, by, and you know, uh, by a bunch of NA members and or AA members. But this story is really about NA, correct? You had problems with AA too? Yes, yes. Uh because NA meets there more, we we had more issues with them. Um, I definitely felt victimized again by the police department and by NA headquarters because mm-hmm. I, it's basically a story of you know blaming the victim and I mean yep. to have your life threatened right. and the police actually actually thought that you know this wasn't a good idea that we rented the place <laughs> i mean they they came out and said they didn't they didn't think that was a good idea it's like okay we're community members and we're renting it and we're giving the city money and but you think it's a better idea that NA is here not paying rent for 17 years wow. and what they so, say to them did you say that to them huh did you say that to them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 yeah. had uh, a discussion about it right then and there because I was I was pretty shocked, um, and they basically were blaming us for being threatened. So I was pretty upset about that. Uh, in fact, the person who was one one of the people that was in their head that was in the pavilion had run for mayor and was very popular in the community, had lived there over 20 years, yeah. very involved in his community. There was another right. gentleman, he he was actually carrying a, a weapon, because, you know, he, he had a, I didn't know it at the time, but he worked for the clerk of the court uh, for decades, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm a business person. So we had, you know, upstanding, well-known citizens, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we have these people who... Have you know do illegal drugs? I mean, you know it is illegal. What the people are doing? It's good that they're getting help, but let's not forget, you know, it is criminal activity. And mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. they threatened me, and they didn't do anything. Well, it just you know upset me, and it got me and other people studying more about NA and AA and how they work and how they don't work. And just really flabbergasted, just shocked about the inverted system and how, you know, world headquarters in California, (laughs) the big organization, can Mm -hmm. say, 
there's nothing we can do. We we can we can talk to them and tell them our experiences and how it's how you know share their experiences. But other than that, bottom line, there's nothing they could do. And if I would say, well, you know, what if they were, uh, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, or they were doing this, bringing up, you know, some extremes, and they said still that, you know, that would be a police matter. There's just nothing we could do, which I don't believe. I, I do think they have protocol that they can do things they don't want the public to know they can do anything. They want to put this out there that they can't, and they chose not to do anything in our case, knowing you mean that there's world death service? threats. You mean NA World Services yes. or you mean the police? NA World Services. So here's the thing. I know we talked about you calling, and it's my understanding from knowing people that are involved uh, in the, on the board of NA as opposed to AA that NA did change their service structure that NA felt, and so I thought it was in 06, but I heard that it was longer ago that they realized that the service structure of the group being at the top, which we know is ridiculous. Oh, somebody wrote here <laughs> in the chat room, civil disobedience, take over the park and pick it. Rent it every week. Rent the park well, every week. Well, that's what we did. You, yeah, so we're going to get back we, to the story. Yeah, yeah. But I think that I want you to know mm -hmm. this, and I think that, you know, if um, the problem sometimes is is that, you know, not everybody who goes becomes an activist to do the work, just like I have found here um, with the Stop 13 NAA stuff. So, uh, okay, back to your story. So um, you did. So you rented it weekly? The uh, community had gathered money together, and we rented it for, I think it was six Sundays in a row. Mm -hmm. And the very first Sunday, it was during, because that's in the morning, uh, AA meets at 9 a.m., and then NA follows them at 11 a.m. And so the very first time we rented it, it was the AA meeting, you know, came in, and we had put up, you know, <laughs> ribbons and things like that to let people know, you know, this is rented. Right. And... They were furious. I mean, they yeah. cussed us out. Well. They they were angry. And to see, I mean, it just confirmed yeah. our realization, their sense of entitlement and their arrogance mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and being narcissistic. And we actually had a woman who was at the meeting that came across into the store where my partner was and said, did you guys, you know, rent this? And just started yelling and screaming at my partner. And my partner had to say, look, if you don't leave my store, I'm going to have to call the police. Yeah. And she kept yelling yeah. until my partner picked up the phone and mm -hmm. started to dial. And then she left and said right. she was going to call the police on us. And we're like, what? You know, what did what did we do? We didn't do anything. And you know, they had a fit, just a fit. And we just rented it. This is just citizens right. renting it on a beautiful Sunday morning. It's a riverfront mm. park, beautiful right. park. So we rented it for about six weeks, and it definitely, you know, got their attention. And 
that sort of thing and definitely disrupted their, you know, what they were used to for 17 years. Mm-hmm. And the city would say, well, they can't make people leave a pavilion if they haven't rented it. So, you know, people don't have to leave. But what mm-hmm. they never get, and I still don't think they get to this day, is how they were able to get away with it is they would just come into the pavilion. AA did set up, uh, you know, ashtrays and things like that. And they would just say, we're getting ready to start our meeting. So any average citizen, you know, is going to get up and leave. They're not going to question if they have a right to be there. I mean, who would have the nerve to do that, right? Yeah, right. And so they continue to do that to this day. I witness N.A. in the evening. If they're, they, they're at a smaller pavilion now in the same park. And if there is a couple sitting there or a family sitting there, mm-hmm. they will come into the pavilion and sit there and, you know, tell them they're going to have their meeting. And then you see the family get up and leave 100% of the time. So, well, what, so somebody, another blogger down here in the chat room said, chain yourself to the pavilion and call the newspapers. Now, I know, didn't this wind up even in the... Your, um, in the newspapers and in the uh, city council meeting? Yes. And to answer the other blogger's question, uh, we did rent it and we did want to pick it. We were told by the police we w- we couldn't pick it, so we didn't pick it. Um, Why couldn't you so pick it? We were told we couldn't. I, you know what? I, I, don't quite... say, I want to say something here about this. Okay. You know, thought About the cops not telling you the truth because – I wouldn't trust them to tell us the truth. This is what happened in Culver City. So we had the woman, Rosie, who was being uh, sexually harassed inside a meeting at the Marina Center on Washington Boulevard in West Los Angeles. She was so angry, she went out and she drank, and uh, she asked me, we went to the police together. The first police officer told us that that wasn't battery, that, you know, what the difference was about battery and, uh, you know, somebody saying something is not enough to call the police, right, by touching. When we went back the second time, the police officer told us it was, but she would have to come back to file a report. And I found out later that a couple of these guys, these police officers, are sober in AA, and so we know then that we're not going to have real support addressing it. But I just want to say that we I went twice, and and so I would we have the right to you know uh, to peaceful assembly and to picket. I wouldn't trust them that that. Where can we find out the the law there? But um, mm, apply well, it, for it a definitely crossed our mind. Hall. Somebody said here, apply for a picket permit at City Hall. Okay, thank you. Oh, okay, okay. Mm, so, uh, so, wow, this is, um, I, I just am just flabbergasted because I know there was then the one story with the woman with the car. There was that one woman with, uh, I think, that came to the city council meetings, those stories that you told me. Yes, yes. There is a, there's a NA member who was quite aggressive and made up stories in the city hall and because this went to the you know city commission meetings and i actually was trying to work with na and na 
um, with the community without bringing it to the commission meeting right away. Mm-hmm. But respecting the anonymity and that they prefer to stay out of the press, I understood that, and I was, you know, that was my mindset to give them some time to work it out. Well, this person from it. N.A. got up and said that, again, you know, trying to make the victim, you know, turn it all around, she said she was being harassed and accused myself of uh, trying to get her vehicle, that I was taking pictures. She filed a, she also had filed a false report on myself saying that I was following her eight-year-old daughter around in the park, which she doesn't even have a daughter. She she does have a niece, yeah. but wow. she referred to as a daughter. Because she was trying to set me up. In fact, to back up, she did that the same day that gentleman had come into the pavilion and threatened us when we were cooking the turkey. And she had heard about it and saw the police had come and all that. So she's been through the system. And this is how she you know, deals with it, she ended up, I didn't even know about it. Nobody, The police never even came to talk to me about it. I went to get the report that I was told would be done about the incident that we were threatened in the pavilion the following week. And the lady says, well, I have two reports here. I said, two? Well, I only know about one, but, you know, give me two. Mm-hmm. Well, the second one was about me. Wow. And this she, lady did she want some of that had, turkey, Harriet? She probably wanted some of that special <laughs> turkey on the grill. <laughs> I don't even know if she – I took pictures that day, and she's not in any of the pictures, and there were no pictures that I took of any minor uh, children that I saw. So I don't even know if she was there that day. But she went mm. to the police station later – after the incident and filed this complaint saying I was a suspicious woman. I mean, they knew exactly who I was, that I owned the store across the streets, um, and she wanted it documented. So she was trying to set me up as, um, you know, harassment and that sort of thing. So she gets up in front of City Hall, fast forward, you know, she did that, and then there we are in City Hall in the commission meeting, and she's saying that, you know, I had tried to get in her vehicle that, you know, she felt threatened, she felt harassed, she thought somebody might get hurt, that we were planting alcohol over there, that we were dumping cigarette butts over there to make them look bad. Wow. <laughs> and I wasn't, I didn't see this coming, you know, because I didn't know her. I had never talked to her before. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't prepared to speak at this commission meeting. And there she is up there saying these lies about me and about other members of the community. So I had to go up there and and I just told the commission straight up, I said, everything this woman just said is a lie. Mm-hmm. She is lying. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not something you just say in front of, commission meeting, I mean, everything she said was a total lie. And so then I told my part about us being threatened, problems we had. And um, so that was one of many meetings. And it kept escalating because N.A. wouldn't leave the park. You know, we were hoping they would find another place. We had sent 
Right. We'd actually sent N.A. a very long, nice letter mm-hmm. saying after 17 years, could you please give the community a break and please find another place. And where the, did the know, letter go to the local N.A. area or did it go to, to send it to uh, L.A.? It went to a Florida region. Did anybody respond? Um, I did get a call from a regional member from Florida because mm-hmm. nobody was talking to us locally. And because right. I had called N.A. in California, they had a Florida region member call me. Mm-hmm. And they were getting ready to have a big um, quarterly meeting and that meeting took place, you know, in November, and and that was taking place that same weekend that we were threatened by the guy who came to the pavilion when we were cooking the turkey, and that same weekend that he had taken our letter with him, which was a very kind letter, you know, with us, you know, saying we wished them the best in recovery and wished them well in life, but the community had had enough, and just... You know, I couldn't have asked any nicer, but there was a group that refused to leave, still refuses to leave, yeah. and this one woman who got up and lied um, is one of them, and, you know, she was very aggressive, and it caused a lot of problems, and so it, it went to show that you know, they knew the community was upset, and they didn't care. I mean, they just really didn't care. It was all about them. I mean, she even said, she got up and said in talking to the commissioners that we've been there 17 years. <laughs> it's like, well, thank you for validating that, you know. I mean, 17 years of not paying rent. Um That's a long time, and in that 17 years, I mean, Drug court had started, you know, 1989. So right. you could see where the progression was. Well, well, maybe when they first started, it was a small group. And right. it wasn't court mandated. And then it grew and grew and grew because people would say, well, if there hadn't been a problem before, why is there one now? Well, hello, you know, drug courts have exploded. There's over 3,500 variations of them now where in 1989 there was one so that's huge growth so you have all these convicted felons violent felons drug courts tend to try not to have the violent ones but many of them are opening up to them now Mm, but really yes because actually they find that drug court is more effective for the more violent offender and more uh, the offenders that have are in bigger trouble and would definitely go to jail, which is good that they find that it's more effective for the more hardened criminal. That's a good thing. The bad thing is, though, they're sending them to the NANAA meetings. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I don't think that it's better. I mean, we've seen many stories on the blogs, thinking, thinking, and or mine, stuff that I found, but uh, that... You know, it's not a place. Like Christine Cass was murdered by a guy who was sentenced both, you know, through his, the psychiatric route and through, you know, the penal system, the court system for 
uh, other problems. Two, part of his treatment was to go to an AA meeting when he had PTSD and he had huge anger management issues. Uh, And he murdered a woman who didn't want to be his girlfriend anymore and her 13-year-old and their dog, you know, and then he shot himself, Mm. which I don't really care about. I care that he killed them and that that was not a national story. But I have a real problem with any of the courts sending anyone anymore. That I think, you know, we talked about this earlier today, that um, they, the courts, should have a room where people from AA or SMART or Women for Sobriety or SOS or anyone who's got a good idea how to stay clean and sober can go into a room and say, okay, this is how I did it, this is how you can do it. There's meetings online, you know, and right. they bring in... Online this, this meetings. ridiculous, this, this dumping of crazy people. We saw somebody's neck was slashed in Michigan, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, was it two weeks ago, in a meeting, throat slashed. So it's... Uh, even though we see these stories and the stories that have been on Stinkin' Thinkin' and on your website, um, and when we also uh, of the actual incidences, but then there's many articles that also written that you know this terrible person got sentenced to AA and NA is you know as part of their sentence. But the reality is that's happening across the country, thousands of times probably a day. There's exact similar type. They just don't hit. News, mm-hmm. but it's huge. I mean, I've been mm-hmm. doing a lot of studying and looking at uh, some of the people who've been to the meetings. I was able to identify a number of the people who went to the meetings across the street because, I mean, they're not anonymous. You know, you're in a right. public park. Right. Uh, right. You can see their license plates. You can take their picture. They're in a public park. I was able to to see that one person had been arrested 22 times. Wow. Okay, that's you know, and there was others that had been rent, arrested many, many times as well. Some of them are on drug felony probation. And a lot of times, I think people envision people going to AA and NA, it's exclusive to that. But as you know, you know that if they've done any act that was connected to drugs like armed robbery, grand theft, and they happen to be high when they're doing it. <laughs> Right. They get sent off to AA or NA. And so this is just standard uh, protocol day in and day out in this country. And it's shocking. And even the people who are, you know, AA and NA members, some of them might be sentenced to the court as well, but they might they they might be a low level offender. They might have got busted with a joint and there they are with somebody who has done grand theft, armed burglary, and they're offering to take this person home. And this person might not even know that this person has been arrested for this or what their record is. They don't always have to say in a meeting who they are. And it's it's really outrageous. Yeah, it is. We have about eight minutes left. I'm just going to put the call-in number if anybody does want to call in and ask a question of Harriet or myself. 
If not, we'll continue talking. The number is 818-475-9211. It's 818-475-9211. I'm Monica. This is my show. It's called Safe Recovery on Blog Talk Radio. So we have Harriet here calling in from Florida. Now, what have you seen any kind of um, any changes? I know you've you know really been active there. Oh, I, I want to ask you this: How long did you have the store for? Um, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And this happened about a year, a year and so many months afterwards. And there was actually an earlier incident that my partner was involved with that. Uh, you could talk to him maybe at a later date about, you know, another incident, but he was very involved in another incident that's quite detailed um, that goes into this whole issue about people that they're, you know, sending to court, um, that the court is sending to AA. Now, yeah, we want to talk about that. Are there any changes going on there in Florida? I know. I don't think there's any changes yet here in California. So, well, in Volusia County, they have recently changed to where instead of saying that they will mandate AA and NA, that they will accept other support groups like Smart Recovery and SOS and oh, other great. ones. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really. It's actually that's a huge. Big deal. That's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that was you know. May done through giving the drug courts awareness and some pressure as to well why not and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that can be done on a larger level as well. Now it's actually expanded to the whole seventh judicial division, which encompasses four counties. So that's a lot of it impacts a lot of people. And, and, and so what Florida, that, was it, wasn't it the first state that did drug courts, didn't it, or have the first pilot yeah, program? Yeah, Miami-Dade, Miami-Dade yeah. in 1989. And, in fact, Miami-Dade now is more progressive. They allow online meetings of smart recovery, rational recovery. Oh, they get good. a lot of positive feedback about it, yes. So did you talk, because, you know, this is interesting. There's so much kind of grassroots work, but because we're on a blog, we can really – you know, be sprinkled all over the country, that if every person that's on Stinkin' Thinkin' and my blog and your blog, uh, what's the name of your blog? Uh, my blog is nadaytona.org. N-A. N-A standing for Natural Accountability. I like it. Say it again one more time. N-A, uh-huh. Daytona, D-A-Y-T-O-N-A, dot org. Oh, it's easy. Okay. And mine is Stop 13 Step in AA, um, which eventually I'm going to probably be changing it to Safe Recovery. But for now, that's what it is. Uh, So if somebody wanted to raise awareness in their city, what would you suggest for them to do? I would suggest that they contact their drug court manager, and speak to the drug court manager and the head of Department of Corrections mm-hmm. and start asking questions if they have options to, if they have a secular option to AA or NA. If they do, what are they? If they don't, would they consider it? Um, and if they wouldn't, why not? <laughs> um, 
give them information about the alternatives and the positive feedback that people get from other drug courts and jurisdictions around the country that, you know, there are some that are doing it that are more progressive. There's a mentor court in St. Paul, Minneapolis that's very progressive, and they even allow you to go to, you know, grief counseling, children, adult children of alcoholics. You can go to those type of meetings, and those will count. So they're Mm -hmm. very open-minded, and they try to treat the whole person. But that's just one of, I'm afraid to say, you know, too few. Right, because we have 52 states, and we only talked about part of your state, which is a big one, like California. So the first person you contact is the drug court manager, right? Yes. And then who is the second person you said? Uh, The head of the Department of Corrections. Okay. The they oversee of... the probation. They mm-hmm. oversee the probation officers, and it's the probation officers that carry out general guidelines by the judges that would say substance abuse counseling might be mandated. Sometimes the judges will mandate specifically AANA, but a lot of times what will happen is they will have to get substance abuse counseling. They might be sent to a third party vendor who will do an interview and decide, well, they need to go to a 12-step program. And so the probation officer would, you know, tell them you need to go to a 12-step. And also for those listening, also for those listening that are in the system, you know, or in court, they need to ask their probation officers for, if they want, if they can do an alternative, if they could do online meetings, if they could go to SOS, because some of the probation officers are open to it if you ask. Some of them are just totally clueless and don't even know what is available out there. So a mm-hmm. lot of it is making them aware and for people to start asking for options. Yeah, I wonder if there's grant money available you know, for PSAs to make a PSA about alternatives. We have one minute left. Um I want to thank you so much. We, I guess we need to do a part two because, uh, but we did cover a lot. But I, I know there's so much more. What do you want? You got 30 seconds, Harriet. <laughs> what do you want to say? <laughs> well, you know my my website at nadaytona.org. It, it's really geared towards making awareness to make it safer for for minors and not sending your teenagers to AA and NA meetings that is not a safe place for them or a place for you to bring your small children if you're going to meetings yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so, so true. So nadaytona.org, and I am uh, Monica, and I'm your host, and this is Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. Let's stay tuned next week. I think I'm going to do I think I'm going to do a story uh with Stop 13 Step Make A Safer from the Inside where people who have been victimized are going to do some talking and then in 2 weeks we're going to have Stanton Peel on who is an alternative to 12 step recovery. I want to So I should say good night, Harriet. Well, good night. Thank you for having me on. Good night. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Good night. I want to thank everybody for joining me tonight on Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. 
and have a great night, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.